I'm Tony Tardio. Hello and welcome to Darren Hinch's That's Life podcast, a podcast where we talk about the big stories of the past, the big stories of today, through the prism of Hinch's six decades in the media. In this episode, Australia's Prime Ministers. Darren Hinch is the only journalist in Australia to have interviewed every Prime Minister since Sir Robert Menzies, except one, ScoMo. He was 20 when he interviewed Menzies in 1964. In the years since, Hinch has tussled with Malcolm Fraser and Bob Hawke and dined with Gough Whitlam and Malcolm Turnbull. Today we're going to talk about the Prime Ministers. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, I think there have been 20-odd, maybe even a few more Prime Ministers. And you have this honour that you've interviewed all every Prime Minister since Sir Robert Menzies, yeah, except now, ScoMo. <laughs> yeah, well, the thing is this. Uh, I have talked... Uh, Robert Menzies, uh, I did go to a press conference for him in 1964, I was 20, right? So I, I did talk to him at that press conference. Um, people said, oh, you couldn't, you're too young. I said, well, I was there. Uh, and I, when I got to Canberra, I thought, well, I have talked to them all. And then I, I thought, no, maybe Laurie Oakes did, because he was the doyen of the press corps. So I talked to Laurie about it. And I, he said, well, when did you talk to, I said, when did you talk to Menzies? And he said, I interviewed him in 1967 after he left office. And then I thought maybe Michelle Grattan would have, because she, you know, was, was a veteran. But no, I, my 1964 press conference with Menzies was the first, and I interviewed them all. I did interview ScoMo when he was Minister for Immigration and the Treasurer, and we discussed it, my interviewing as Prime Minister, to preserve the record, but Sky sacked me before uh, we got him on air. So, so I, I have interviewed them all, but not him as Prime Minister. Tell me about that 1964 media conference involving uh, Sir Robert Menzies. Now, that was held in Canberra, was it? The no, 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 Sydney. Sydney. Sydney, yeah. Right? Yeah, I was a young journalist in Sydney and just sent so. to the airport, you know, and the Prime Minister turns up. Look, Menzies was an amazing character. I mean, he was a pompous old fart. You've got to admit that, you know. He he, he used the, the media was just was there as an annoyance. He didn't really want to talk to us, but he did. And he, I mean, you, people who don't remember Menzies would not realise... What a what an anglophile he was. I mean, when the Queen was visiting Australia, he actually said, "I am British to my boot heels." How can you get away with that now? I mean, we're also we're Australian. I'm Australian. We're all Australian. He said, "I am British to my boot heels." Well, he would he would disappear for months at a time. Well, he would. Well, the reason was he would get on a boat for six weeks and go to London to go to the cricket. <laughs> So the Prime Minister of Australia would be out of action on a boat, a cruise ship, going to England to watch the tests. And now you would never get away. This this day of social media and news 24-7, you'd never get away with it. And, of course, the famous quote of him is uh, about the Queen where he says, I I have seen her... I did not see her passing by. And I will love her till till the day I die. die. Well, see, at one stage, he was such an anglophobe that she made him the something like the Lord of the Sunk Ports, Sunk being five ports, uh, the Lord of the Sunk Ports, and he's like, well, Admiral of the Sunk Ports. And at one stage during World War II, he wanted to be, be part of the British Cabinet. He tried hard to get, get involved there. Um, he, the, the only Prime Minister who came close 
to Menzies, in my view, since Menzies, in, in that sort of arrogance, would be Malcolm Fraser. Mm. Mm. You know, I mean, on 3AW, I once called him that po-faced souvenir from the Easter Islands. Because he did look down his nose at people, and he was po-faced. He was, he, Fraser in particular was like that, but unbelievably shy mm. you know like he'd, uh, he uh he he i remember wasn't too shy with his pants off in memphis <laughs> <laughs> don chip used to say you know like because they had a big falling out as mm-hmm. well don chip and i remember it was 1977 the election uh gough whitlam malcolm fraser and fraser had won handsomely again and fraser was dancing and he's, he's just a bit out of him you know like he you never saw him like that because no. he was always a really severe looking uh the only emotion he fellow. really showed to the world was the minute he, he got beaten and and, and, and cried you know, that's the first time most people ever saw any emotion from Malcolm Fraser. I was at the Southern Cross that night. That's right. That's uh, right. And that bottom lip started to quiver. Mm, started to quiver. And then he hugged his son and started crying mm. and resigned on the spot, basically. Yeah. Uh, the, um, see, well, the chip thing you mentioned, that's what started the Democrats. Fraser dumped chip from his cabinet. So chip quit and started the Democrats. So the Democrats started as, as um, disenfranchised and annoyed liberals but they sort of moved to the left when other people took over the democrats and of course since they've gone it was a very conservative country too i remember don chip telling this story that he was the minister for customs mm-hmm. and you know things like pornography Por- were well, uh, they, they banned port noise complaint the book yeah well well real. well don chip says he had all of these magazines and stuff in his office because they were all banned <laughs> But on a weekend, you know, Friday, politicians would come to his office, collect some of these magazines. Take them home for the weekend. Take them home for the weekend and then bring them back on, uh, on Monday. Well, for, for, for Fraser, while we're talking about Fraser, that was the start of the, and I mentioned this before, the shame, shame, shame line, which I did not ever say until I got into the Wog Boy movie. Um, where I, I got the interview with Fraser before the, the Hawke election. And uh, we're having an argument about Cambodia because we still, I've mentioned this before, we still uh, recognise China, China. Through for China, we recognise Pol Pot in the United Nations. And I had said to uh, Fraser in this interview, why? I mean, they've killed two million of their own people. And he sort of looked out his nose at me and said, well, that's the way it is. It just is. And I said, well, shame, Australia, shame. But that was then by Visard was moved on to shame, 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 and I was stuck with it ever since. One of my best, one of my favourite memories or stories about a Prime Minister was John Gorton. Now, John Gorton, of course, was, was a, a fighter pilot in the war. He had his face mashed up on the dashboard of his plane when it crashed. Um, but Gorton was, was a huge drinker, massive drinker, and... Uh, Renowned for it. I mean, one day, we remember now pissed he took a young reporter, Lorraine Willsey, I think her name was, uh, Mike's sister, took her to the, the, a party at the, uh, the American embassy, the ambassador's place, while they were discussing the Vietnam War, which caused a huge blow-up. But the best story I like about Gorton, he was on a plane going from Melbourne back to Canberra, and he'd obviously had a few, and he threw up on the plane. That's the <laughs> Prime Minister. Threw up on the plane. <laughs> And he apologised to the flight attendant, to the hostess, and he said, oh, I'm so sorry. He said, but isn't that crazy? I mean, can you imagine a, a former fighter pilot throwing up on a plane? 
And she said, we haven't left the ground yet. (laughs) (laughs) Well, of course, John Gorton became Prime Minister. He had been in the Senate. He he was a senator. And when Harold Holt disappeared and they needed a new leader, he went from the Senate to the House of Representatives and was elected Prime Minister, well, voted in as Prime Minister by his party. Allegedly, uh, Black Jack McEwen, who was the leader of the National Party at that time, and he became acting prime minister. He became prime minister for a few days, actually, uh, which is a good trivial pursuit question. But Billy McMahon was expected to get the job then, and Black Jack allegedly said, "I won't have a puff as prime minister." Well, we'll talk about Billy McMahon. Yeah, we'll in a minute. But, had, but Gorton, see, if you can come from this, you can be appointed prime minister and have three months to get from the Senate to the lower house. I mean, you can't run the country full time from the Senate. You must be the prime minister. Must be in the lower house. But uh, Gorton moved down, and he he became he became prime minister. Well, Harold Holt disappeared on the seventeenth of December, nineteen sixty-seven, showing off to his girlfriend at Portsea. Yeah, uh, John Gorton uh, then became prime minister in would have been early nineteen sixty-eight. He then went to the election in sixty-nine, and the famous Don's party play by mm-hmm. David Williamson was about all that election night. But in 1971, there was a vote, and he cast a vote against himself mm. that then made Billy McMahon Prime Minister. Yeah. Do you remember that? Yes, I do indeed. I, I was living overseas. I wasn't here. I was in New York, uh, and which leads me to a story about Billy McMahon, because he and Sonia, his wife, went to Washington to meet up with Nixon. Now... Two things there. This was that was the famous thigh high split dress Sonia McMahon shot at the White House. Remember she? I remember it well. You can Google it. Yeah, Sonia amazing, McMahon amazing dress. See, right. The Prime Minister, the, the wife of the Prime Minister of Australia, yeah, turns yeah. up. Turns up at this, the White House. And the legs, legs all exposed. Anyway, two things. I'll t- go back a story in a minute. But at that White House dinner, Australia being great allies of the United States, and I was there at the White House dinner. And Nixon leant across an open mic and said, just before he made the toast to his dear friend, and said, Scusi, excuse me, do you pronounce your name McMahon or McMahon? <laughs> like he had no idea. But a couple of days before that, uh, Billy and, uh, and Sonia, uh, the ambassador, sorry, the consul general in New York, put on a cocktail party. I think it was at the Plaza Hotel, Waldorf. There was a plaza. And we were all invited. And we're there, and Sonia, Billy is very short and Sonia is very tall, as you remember. Um, but we're standing in this, this room, and it, looking back now, it was a, a princess die moment for Sonia because she's standing in front of a table lamp, which was shining right through her skirt and looked like she didn't have a dress on. Uh, um, uh, but then Billy comes up, and she's talking to a couple of journos, and Billy comes up to her and says, oh, we've, we've got to go for dinner, we've got to, we've got, we're running late, we've got to go. And she sort of just flicked him off like, excuse me, I'm talking, I'm talking. And this is the, the Prime Minister of Australia and he just sort of meekly walked away again. Well, you, you, you mentioned the word uh, poof about Sir Billy McMahon and uh, there were all these rumours about it. He married late in life. Yeah. He did actually father a child who is Julian, the actor, the actor mm-hmm. Julian McMahon, who I remember was a little baby when uh, Whitlam and McMahon fought out the 1972 election, which Gough Whitlam uh, won. Um, is there any... I mean, it doesn't really matter, does it? Doesn't it? Matter. Uh, Look, the, the rumours were around forever, 
forever. You know? And so, but uh, and, and these days, it, it doesn't matter. I mean, the theory was that Billy had married for convenience, you know, to improve his image. He had a very high-pitched, quavering sort of voice. Yes, he did, yes. yes they, 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 his nickname was Billy Biggie, as of course. And somebody once said, it wasn't my original line, I've used it, uh, he looked like a Volkswagen with the doors open. <laughs> <laughs> but he, but he, and um, uh, Whitlam used to call him Tiberius with a telephone because he'd be on the phone nighttime berating journos and whatever. He, I'm told he wrote his his autobiography, which I didn't think was ever published, this version, it ran to about 700,000 words. Oh, uh, he, he, just, he was a great talker. But Whitlam uh, was amazing, I mean, because... I remember one sort of function years later uh, with with Jackie Weaver and uh, and and Whitlam as prime, referred to uh, Jackie as a, a a national treasure. She's a national treasure, right? And I got up and I said, "Well, that makes me sound like the curator, right?" For the whole night, and this Whitlam was so clever. He had, he had a brilliant intellect, and Whitlam would say things like, "National treasure." Curator, <laughs> national treasure, curator. <laughs> he, uh, look, I, I, all, I've all, of all the prime ministers, I've always had a particular soft spot for Gough Whitlam. Now, mm. looking back, I can see, you know, he had his faults, and the economy was terrible, and mm. Australia did suffer uh, with high inflation and all that sort of thing. But the reason I went to university was because mm. of uh, Gough Whitlam and the social change, you know. Um, um, uh, no-fault divorce, things well, like that. Well, prior, prior, he brought out the Human Relations Royal Commission, which was to deal with things like divorce. Mm. Prior to Whitlam, you had to prove somebody in the marriage was at fault. That's somebody right. had uh, yes. done the wrong thing. You had people jumping out of closets, photographers jumping out of wardrobes and things. Taking photographs of people in bed yeah. with somebody else to prove infidelity. Yeah. <clears throat> Um, prove the infidelity. Yeah, to prove the infidelity. <laughs> that's right. Uh, uh, Harold Holt. What, what do you remember? Look, of I, I only remember Harold because um, he. I wasn't living here when Harold was prime minister. I did interview him when he was treasurer before I went to the states. Uh, I remember I was in I was in New York when, uh, when when the news came through that that Holt had gone missing at at Portsea, you know. And I remember all the crazy rumours went around later about Chinese submarines and things like that. Um, yeah, I mean, Holt gave us a, a, a really bronzed Aussie image. You see him, you know, on the um, on the beach, you know, with, the, with his daughters-in-law or his daughters, I can't remember, and stuff like that. Um, the, the, the the prime minister probably who left re- recently has left most impact on people would have to be Hawk, have to be Bob Hawk, because uh, he, you know, that larrikinism thing which appealed to people. Um, uh, I. I it used to be frustrating when you're interviewing him when I was on 3AW. Uh, I remember on one occasion, because when he got angry, he'd call me Darren and then Daryl and Derek, Derek, you know, and he'd do that on purpose. And I remember one day saying to him, uh, listen, I can, I, can, uh, I can handle and I can take your sarcasm, Mr Prime Minister. He said, well, I hope you bloody well can, Daryl, you know. <laughs> he, he, was, he had a very short fuse. And he was very litigious. There's some oh, famous yes. stories about Hawke, uh, you know, adding a swimming pool and a tennis court to his house in, uh, in Sandringham. Sandringham, you'll say, this is, the, this is the Sydney Morning Herald swimming pool, or this is the so-and-so, such-and-such, you know. <laughs> yeah. but, he, um, I mean, but he cleaned up his act while he, while he was Prime Minister, um, even though, remember, as Keating claimed that he... Um, 
that he really was prime minister. They really ran the show. He mm. was Placido Domingo. Um, I um, funny Keating. I, I know women who thought Keating was the most sexy man. You know, they loved him, um, and he did have a presence. He would he'd walk into a room, and he he did have an aura. I'll grant you that about Keating. He had he had a style, and he was brilliant on the in, in Parliament. Well, he dominated Parliament on, on the put downs and on, in question time and yes. the insults, you know. And well, I remember when Andrew Peacock was uh, vying to come back as opposition leader. Mm. You know, Hawke, sorry, uh, Howard Key. and uh, Howard and Peacock had had this tussle yeah. for a number of years, and there was speculation that uh, Andrew Peacock was going to be opposition leader for the second time. Keating walks up the steps of, uh, I think it was the old Parliament mm. House, and says the famous line, does a souffle rise twice? No, a souffle doesn't rise twice. <laughs> a souffle yeah, a souffle doesn't, doesn't rise twice. twice. He also would say things like like a dog returning to his vomit or looking for a looking for a spine to crawl up and <laughs> lines like that. You know, he was he, he, he was he was vicious, but he was he was very he's very Well he, very he always hit the nail on the head. Uh, Peter Costello he said uh, uh, he was all tip and no iceberg. That's right, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you think of Prime of, of uh, Keating as as Prime Minister? Yeah, I thought he's re- I thought he's very good actually. Uh, I mean, he and Hawke, I mean, they had the deal which Hawke then reneged on, and they obviously didn't trust each other because they both had a um, they both had a second in the room while they were negotiating it. Um, when Keating fired the shot and lot missed, he suddenly got one shot in the locker. You knew that wasn't. You knew that's just mm. was just the opening opening barrage. Um, I'm, I mean. He replaced probably the most, one of the most successful prime ministers ever in Hawke, getting re-elected and re-elected. Um, but Keating was, was, I thought he was clever, and what they did with floating the dollar and stuff like that was was very clever. They, he and 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 Hawke, I mean they they changed the. I mean I I, I hated it when when I was paying twenty percent interest on my 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 home well, loan. Well, there was the famous, you know, the recession that we, we had, had to, to have. have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was real banana republic stuff. But it, we and I didn't like that, but. He, um, you know, the stuff they did with superannuation was, was, was very good. The push for it. Um, at the moment, of course, you've got people being able... I hate the way that the opposition has been saying about the superannuation stuff during COVID. People being allowed to take $5,000 out last year and from July 1, $5,000. And the Labor Party has been saying theft it's your own money and mm. uh, you don't have to take it out unless you need to and people do need to because mm. they're, they're out of work mm. but you well it was take... designed to you know be used for when you were uh, retired yeah but you're allowed to take 10,000 a year for the next two years but it does rob your your future super of, of, of amount of money uh, and, and that'll mean more people maybe will end up on the pension than, than won't uh, but the, the super idea and increasing it from three and then to six and then to nine they had plans for 12 and 15, which I, I can't see that ever happening now. Uh, but there we are. Um, moving on from, 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 from Hawke, the only other person who, who sort of grabbed the moment, like Hawke always did, like when, they, when, when Malcolm thought he was going to be up against Bill Hayden and actually it was Bob Hawke who thrashed him. Um, when Kevin Rudd stood in 2007, they said, you know, Kevin 07 was a brilliant was a brilliant uh, slogan and you know I'm from Queen I'm Kev from Queensland I'm here to help you was a terrific populist line we didn't know and could not know that he had such so many foibles and uh, and so many weaknesses but uh, there's a great 
there's a great uh, clip on YouTube of uh, Kevin Rudd trying to make a presentation in Chinese. Oh, yes. Have you seen that? I've seen it, yeah. The F word gets a bit of a workout. He's it, swearing, it? but he's so angry, but not at anybody else, at himself, because he's mm. just, you know, he, he's a perfectionist, isn't he? Mm. he really, he, Chinese would be a difficult language to learn. Oh, he's yeah. so angry with himself that he can't get it right. Uh, Darren, if you were to rate the Prime Ministers uh, of, you know, the era that we're talking about, from Menzies all the way now... It- to uh, Scott Morrison. It, Who would you it, put it, number one? It's, it's very hard because of the, it has to be for the times. I mean, uh, Whitlam for his time was fantastic. Keating, I thought, was fantastic. John Howard. John Howard was very clever. I mean, he was very methodical. He was trusted. He, you know, he didn't, didn't, didn't scare the horses. Um, he, I mean, we talked back then about the silent majority. Now they talk about quiet Australia, ScoMo calls them quiet Australians. It's the same mob of people. The centrists... Who, 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 whom the Liberals want to move a bit back from the right, and Labor moved, did move a long way up from the left, and so the quiet Australians, as they now call them, the silent majority, Howard worked that, that group, that room, very, very well. Um, ScoMo, I think, is, is doing very well. He, he certainly stuffed up over the Hawaii holiday uh, and the bushfires. That, didn't, that went very badly for him, and whoever advised him was wrong. But he's come back during COVID, uh, COVID-19, and I think he's handled it all pretty well. Um, so, I mean, I'm, not, I'm being, not being biased here, so I think that both ScoMo on, on, from the Libs and Andrews from Labor have both... It's a hell of a job. I mean, you wouldn't wish it on anybody. Well, look, I've noticed uh, that you haven't criticised Andrews in particular... Uh, read this COVID nineteen stuff, and and I, I'm surprised about that because I I, I've, I have the opposite view. Yeah, I'd read you, but look, he, he, he on quarantine that was a disaster. Well, and, well, and they were wrong, and it's his fault because he's the premier, and they made a decision to hire private security guards, many of them with no training. Some we're told who are hired off WhatsApp. Correct. Yeah, so on that now, one there, and, and, and the, the, the Royal Commission, or the inquiry rather, the Royal Commission, the judge's inquiry, I think, will come down very heavily against them on that. But on, on other issues, I think he's. Um, well, he's the thing is, well. the thing is, my view is that uh, when you say it's a disaster, it's bigger than a disaster. Mm. It's a disaster with a capital D. Yeah. Um, and dead people. Well, well that's right. Mm. Um, how could they possibly have entrusted that job to those people with that lack of training? It's astonishing to me. I think it was a way of giving some uh, smaller private enterprise companies, including a couple of Indigenous ones, a bit of money, I think. Well, that's what I think too. Now, and, and, and that's, that is disgraceful. Yeah. I mean, it eventually got under the uh, Department of Corrections, and and we we did pussyfoot around in Victoria. We did not take on as many defence forces as early as we could have. Well, why not? Of, you see, why not? Because we we were hiring all these private guards and things. So uh, on that part, you were quite right, and I agree with you. And the judicial inquiry uh, will bring that out. But and and also uh, cleverly for Andrews being a politician, he can push all those questions away, saying, well, a judge is doing her job. Well, that's the other thing that irritates mm. the shit out of me, Darren. <laughs> yes. Uh, let's go back it's a tactic. to... It's a, it is a tactic. Uh, but on other things since, uh, I think they've done wrong. I mean, you could argue that we should have gone into tougher times 
instead of going back to state like a stage one lockdown again, we should have gone tougher this time around. You know, it's been six months of this stuff. Yeah, and it's, and, and now you know. So anyway, let's go back to the prime ministers. The the latest crop of prime ministers. You know, Kevin Rudd. You mentioned Julia Gillard. The first female prime minister to me, she was a disappointment. Well, and and, and to me, uh, but I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a couple of things. Um, people say, "Oh, it just proves that Australia didn't want a female prime minister." That's not true. Australia didn't want that female prime minister, in my view. Um, I did not think Julia Gillard would ever lead the Labor Party. To be honest, in my days in radio, I looked at Julia Gillard, and she was always socialist left, and I thought she's too left wing for the Labor Party to pick her, pick her up and take her on as leader. Uh, and then she, uh, she and the others rolled... I mean, she didn't get elected prime minister. She, got, she, got, she rolled Kevin Rudd and suddenly she's in there. And then you remember the disaster when she was not campaigning well and said, now the, now the real Julia... You know. Yeah, so what would what do we have what before? We, what do we have before? Yeah. So now we get the real Julia. So, look, she had bad advice along the way as well. Uh, I think Rudd, she went to tell Rudd that she, she, she was going to challenge him. And I think he almost convinced her not to. But then she went away for a couple of hours and obviously her... The, the the guys were scheming to get rid of Rudd. Uh, they uh, they got in their ear, and she did it. I guess she was a disadvantage. She was at a disadvantage because of the way she became prime minister. Yes. You know, when you knife a sitting prime minister in the back, and then you become leader, you carry that pretty much all the way through your prime ministership. Well, the funny thing is that Bill Shorten was involved in all this up to his neck, and yet seemed to get out of it. Seemed to survive it. I mean, he was in the, he was in the rolling of Rudd, and then he's in the rolling of Gillard, and then he. Then he becomes a leader himself. Um, yeah. Tony Abbott, a divisive figure. Very, yeah. And he, I wish that Abbott, I mean, that budget that he and uh, that he and Hockey brought down was just a disaster. But I wish Abbott had stuck by his word when he got rolled and said, I won't be sniping, this is a paraphrase, I won't be sniping from the sidelines, I'm not that sort of person. And, and that's does. all he ever did. <laughs> After that's all he did. Now, you were in the parliament with him. I mean, he was in the, in the lower house, you yes, were in the Senate. Yes. Did you have much to do with no, him? No, no, not at all. Um, I, I think I've told the story before. The only real involvement I had with him was when, when uh, um, he, he and his cohorts were, were undermining Turnbull and... Uh, and I'd said on Sky, I think on the Paul Murray show, that uh, I, had, I had good information that stuff was being fed to Labor, to Shorten's mob, from the Abbott camp. And I got a message on my phone next day from... And he said, now, Darren, it's Tony Abbott here. And he said something like, you know, either tell me who your source is for last night's performance or shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> and this is on. He put this. He put this on tape. And I thought, oh, okay, uh, yeah. And he was. He was that. He was that angry. But in fairness, I have a very funny photo in my last book in Unfinished Business. He and I were at the uh, at Villas Britain for Anzac Day at the dawn service, and it started to pour with rain. And there's a photo I didn't know it was being taken from AAP of Tony Abbott solicitously, solicitously put draping a uh, a plastic. Raincoat around me, over you, looking after you. <laughs> so, he had, a, he had. A, I remember driving down Flinders Street one day, going to work, and I, 
I saw this man walking with a weird gait. Yeah, oh yeah. He, he was like a gunslinger. He goes, yeah, I, I, always, I say he looks like he had hemorrhoids. <laughs> he, he, he looked like he'd been on a bloody horse for too long. You know, he, he did. He, he had this, yeah, he walked like a gunslinger. Yeah, that, that, that's what, one person we haven't spoken about, and I know you did have lunch with him, is Malcolm, Malcolm Turnbull. Turnbull. Yeah. How did you find Malcolm? Look, Turnbull was, was the, on the surface, was the Prime Minister from Central Casting. I mean, he looked the part. He behaved. He was he was very very stylish, very classy, very inter- very intelligent, a very successful businessman. You know, multi millionaire. Um, I, um, I I've known I had known him not as a friend, as an acquaintance for probably thirty years from way back when he was a journalist. Uh, he was on the Bulletin, I think. Um, then we met up again during when he was head of the Republican movement. Uh, Jackie and I had had dinner with him and, and, and his wife, Lucy. Um, when I was in the Senate and we are having arguments and fights over um, over some union issues, and my, I came down to my vote and I held out of a couple of things. I won't go into the technicalities of it. But um, I arranged to go and meet up with him. Uh, it was around Christmas time and, and uh, a vote was over and Parliament was closed. And we, he invited me down to his boat shed for lunch and the two which, of us which is what his house up on the cliff yeah, yeah, the boat shed it, down it, 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 on the harbour it's yeah so he, well the same property you know it's, uh, yeah. it just runs right down to the harbour and the, he had his kayak kicked up down there and a little a wharf pier um, anyway we had a um, just the two of us had, had a lunch in his boat shed uh, in which he served and uh, he, in his book he mentions it and says we actually shared a bottle of Hinch's non-alcoholic wine which is true and we did uh, and then um Recent, more recently, um, uh, must have been in the, in the last year, I can't remember exactly the date, uh, we arranged to have a, like a post-Christmas lunch in Sydney. I was up in Sydney. And he said to me, so I've invited Jim, Jim Keyes. I said, oh, OK, you don't mind? None at all. I had, couldn't remember who, who he was. I said, that's fine. When we get there, we, Malcolm and I arrive first. Suddenly Jim Key walks in and it's the former New Zealand Prime Minister. Jim and uh, we had a, we had a, a great couple of hours there, so I, I really enjoyed it. Jim Key was an executive at Foster's when John Elliott was is, running is, Foster's. Is that right? I yeah, didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. Some of the people well, uh, I do know, I do know. I remember. I, I may have mentioned this before too, but I do remember uh, at this lunch table, suddenly turning to both Jim and Malcolm and saying, "It's just dawned on me, I'm the only sitting politician at this table." <laughs> Some of the people that uh, wanted to be Prime Minister that didn't actually make it as uh, Prime Minister, the first one is Billy Sneddon. Mm. Now, there's the famous story of uh, Billy Sneddon's death. Mm. You, you know, you, you, you're familiar with that, aren't I'm you? very Dan? familiar with it, yes. Uh, what do you know about that? Well, I can, tell you, I, can, I can dispel one myth about it, is that uh, when he died on the job, as Truth Newspaper said, Billy died on the job at a uh, hotel in Rushcutters Bay in, uh, in Sydney, um, uh, the rumour went around that it was... Um, um, Pruactin. Pruactin, the fashion designer. And I know that's not true because I was on radio and Pru called me and pleaded me to go on air and say, I was in Tasmania. That day, and and she was, um, and it wasn't her. Uh, it, it turns out that it was a um, a, a Liberal Party woman uh, who had they'd been at some function, whatever, uh, and uh, and so it wasn't it, it wasn't um, 
it, it wasn't Pruekin and it wasn't anybody anybody mm, famous, mm. but it, it did happen. It, it and had the truth. Say that amazing thing. Billy Billy, Billy died dies on the job, on the job. Yeah. and I think like something it was loaded, know, a, a loaded raincoat or it something. It was loaded, yeah. something like that. Oh. Um, it, it happened during the nineteen eighty seven election campaign. Is that right? right. And I remember uh, Neil Mitchell was doing breakfast on three AW. And he had somebody from the Labor Party, who I can't remember, and Billy Snedden was the Liberal guy. And uh, they would talk to them during the campaign. It was a Saturday morning. And I remember listening to Mitchell, and and, uh, he he was saying on air, we can't get in touch with Billy Snedden, we don't know what's happened, whatever. Later on that day, it turns out they found him dead in a hotel room in Rushcutters Bay in in Sydney. Uh, Bill, uh, Bill Hayden... Yeah. Now he ended up being the governor general. Yeah, that was a, that was a uh, a sop. That yes. was a payoff by Hawke, which yes. should not have happened. I mean, I, I, I think, I think were, former political leaders being governor general is not the way to go. Now there was some issue with his wife. Uh, she, she was, I yeah, she was a shoplifter. Well, she was suffering mental illness, I think. Uh, uh, pro- yes, I think so. But but she was. I think she was convicted of shoplifting, which maybe ties in together with that. You know? Yeah, Andrew Peacock. Um, what? Why did he never make? Because. He was Funny. another guy from Central Casting. Yes, he know. was. The Good cult, breeding, the yeah, cult from Kuyong. The cult from Kuyong, took over Menzies' seat sort of thing. Um, look, he came very close because in that, in that election that, um, that uh, Hawke called and decided he's such a great campaigner, the campaign would run for about eight or nine weeks. And, and Peacock nearly knocked him off because I was hosting Channel 7 then and hosted my one and only night of election night. And we're on air for about nine hours straight you know? and they didn't declare the election i think till the following thursday so he came very very close um he made one very strange comment well i can't remember it exactly but he's at a press conference afterwards something about being prime minister he said something like eh, i wonder if i ever did yes did yes. you really want to be prime minister he said i wonder if i really did which is a strange comment there when, was, you, when you meet a, a lifelong politician. And, and the, the, the antipathy between uh, Peacock and Howard. Uh, mm. th- there was the famous mobile phone call With between Jeff, Jeff Kennett and, <laughs> and Andrew Peacock, which somebody happened to uh, monitor and hear. Yes, yeah, so, some, some, you know, um, electronic nerds who listened to it on, I don't know, could find people's conversations, and they found it and recorded it, and, uh, and, and it was... Kennett was full of uh, four-letter words and stuff, and uh, yeah, that that put the of any any chance of re, reheating their relationship was was knocked over by that. You know? It looked like Howard was going to be another guy who didn't quite make it to be prime minister, yep. and I'm amazed that he actually did. It was just through sheer tenacity that he did, because when you look at John Howard and you look at the early pictures of him, he had the big long eyebrows that he never <laughs> cut, the really bad teeth, uh, just yeah. short. He, there was Fraser, because he was Fraser's treasurer. Yeah. And there was big, tall Fraser who looked like an imposing mm. leader and little Johnny Howard. Do you know the funny thing is, I... Um and I, I shouldn't be proud of this, but uh, I nicknamed him Little Johnny Howard on radio. He was taller than Bob Hawke. 
He was taller than Bob Hawke, and yet we, he got the nickname Little Johnny Howard, and, and, it, and it stuck, you know. But he, look, as I said earlier, that thing about the silent majority, and, and also when you're talking about 9 11 and stuff like that, and, uh, and the uncertainty in Australia, you know, you don't want to change horses midstream, that sort of, that sort of thing. And it all, it all worked in Howard's favour. And in the end, he became like the reliable uncle. And people liked that, and they wanted a bit of continuity. Uh, I think they actually even liked it, the dorkiness of him, that, yeah. he, that he wasn't that sort of like central casting oh. prime minister. You see, now you've got ScoMo, who's playing it. I mean, they say the, you know, what do you call it, something rather from, from marketing. Um, well, he's, he's marketing pretty well because, you know, the, you know, the, the job keeper, the job saver. saver. Um, and, and what he's doing as well, I mean, he, 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 he's a bloke from the Shire, he wants to be an average Aussie. He's made mistakes. I mean, uh, during COVID early days when he said, I'm still going to the footy, was not a smart thing to say. And he, in the end, he cancelled and didn't do it. Um, but he, he's got that blokiness thing about him, which um, Aussies apparently like. Uh, Bill Shorten. Now, he, by any measure, he should have won the last election. Well, by every poll, he had won the last election, yeah. Why didn't he make it? Um... Look, there's, I think if the Labor Party had somebody else as a leader, they probably would have got there. Um, I think he can sort of blame Andrews to a degree because the fight with the CFA in Victoria, I went around a lot when I was campaigning, and sausage sizzles with the CFA, uh, and in the country they were bitter about about the unions manipulating or trying to force themselves on the, and the CFA. Uh, he, he would have, he, I really lost two or three seats. Well, he, he told me once he thought he lost a couple of seats in Victoria because of the, the, the firefighting uh, issue. There was a quote that I used on Sky that wasn't original. It was originally used in, uh, in the British campaign about the British leader, uh, a Labour leader, and I applied it to Shorten. And it was cruel, but it was something like, how can you believe a word the man says when his own face doesn't believe him? <laughs> And, and when also, you start that, you start, it, it starts to sink in. There was, just, there, was a, there was an antipathy to Bill Shorten personally, um, and, and, and that's what hurt him. And, and, and it didn't show up in the early polls because he was leading in the polls all the time, but in the end, he didn't get there. I, um, my mem- and my- he, won't, he won't get there again. No, I don't think he will either. Um, my Bill Shorten story is uh, when there was uh, an earthquake in Italy, L'Aquila, and uh, Australia was going to donate some money to uh, uh, Italy to help them out. And uh, Kevin Rudd was the Prime Minister, and Bill Shorten was like his Prime Ministerial helper. Mm. And there was this function at a uh, some place in uh, Melbourne's western suburbs, and Kevin Rudd turns up, and uh, he was making really weak jokes, Kevin Rudd. The only person laughing was Bill Shorten. <laughs> And it was, he was just trying too hard, too hard to impress himself to Kevin Rudd, who he, of course, later on knifed. And yet, and yet Shorten was brilliant with the media back with the, um, the Beaconsfield disaster. I mean, I was on 3OW. I talked to Shorten every day, uh, and he virtually took over uh, down there. He became the spokesman for, for the mine and for, for, the, for the company, for everybody. You know? And uh, I didn't know that he actually had been flown down there on Richard Pratt's private plane to get in get it on the act uh, which he did uh, but he he was fantastic and and he was trusted by the media and well liked by the media but this time around out there the voters just 
just didn't warm to him. Uh, finally, Darren, the, being Prime Minister is a, is a big job. Um, uh, they, they live at Kirribilli House in, in Sydney, mm. beautiful piece of real estate overlooking uh, Sydney and the Opera House, and the lodge in Canberra. Uh, have you been to those yeah, two I have locations? Been to both of them. I've, I've dined at the lodge and, and I think at Kirribilli House. The, uh, the lodge has, has had a lot of money spent on it again, uh, but it, it's not a great house. It was meant to be temporary. It was built originally uh, as a temporary accommodation for the Prime Minister. Uh, I remember when, as editor of the Sydney Sun going to Canberra to have dinner with uh, Malcolm Fraser. Uh, and much of other editors were there as well. But I was also at the time, as well as being editor of the paper, I was the hungry hinch. And so I reviewed the dinner in the paper, which, uh, and it wasn't a great feed, I can tell you, but I, did, I didn't impress the Prime Minister's staff because they served the dinner on these beautiful plates which had crimson edges, like an inch of crimson around them, and written in gold on the crimson surround was PM, right, for the Prime Minister's. And I said, oh, that's presumably to tell Malcolm that it's the afternoon meal, you know, <laughs> which didn't, didn't go down so well. But it was, look, it's, it's not a great house. It's small. The rooms are small. As I said, it was built as a temporary place for the Prime Minister. But if you came out now and said we want to spend another X dollars on building, a million dollars on building a new house for the Prime Minister. I mean, Tony Abbott didn't ever live there. Remember, he, he slept in some police barracks or army barracks somewhere in Canberra. I don't know why that was about, but... Uh, and the Prime Ministerial Office, I did once go to the old Parliament House and went th to the Prime Ministerial mm. Office, and I was unimpressed with that either. It had sort of t fake timber panelling, and it looked like this guy was running a sheep station, basically, <laughs> not, not a country. Have you been to the both Prime Ministerial yes, have, Offices? Yes, yes. The, old, the old one was, was, was old-fashioned, but it was, you know, had tradition in it. The new one is very big, and they are large, and, they are, and there's... Um, there's more than one office there, so you can you can either be invited into the prime minister's interior office, where you've got you've got a table and a few chairs, and sit around and chat there. But sometimes, if you've got the uh, some of your staff or some of his staff, they move you into another sort of area adjacent to the PM's office, and uh, and, and see how it goes. Listen, one thing I was going to say to you, you asked a question recently about COVID, and that was asking how many media staff does Premier Andrews mm. have. Is it true it's over 60? Uh, I'm told it's a large number. I don't know the exact number. That's why I, I posed the question on Twitter, because I actually knew the answer so that, that he had a lot. Do? I think I think I read 63 or something. Yeah, well, uh, and he's just hired Brendan Donoghue from mm. Channel 7. Uh, and one of your producers, old producers, works for him too, Nicole Bland. Nicole, is that right? Yes. Oh, I didn't know that. Yes, oh. she's quite senior, actually, oh, okay. uh, in, in the I Prime Ministerial. Really I mean, I, I could be corrected on this. I don't think, I don't think that um, Dan Andrews and I have ever spoken. When I was in the Senate, I wanted to talk to him about something. Yeah, he never contacted you. And, he, and I, I sent a message that I'd like to talk to him, and a, message, a text message came back from one of his staff saying, uh, so-and-so from the Premier's office will talk to Senator Hinch. And I just, I turn, it sounds, sounds a bit uh, snotty, but I just turned around and said to one of my staff, tell him, I want to talk to the organ grinder, not the monkey. <laughs> <laughs> so that was it. So anyway, we've talked to a lot of organ grinders over the years, Tony. Yeah, absolutely. Darren Hinch, thank you very much again for your uh, time. It's been Thanks, fascinating. Mate.